2: You guys go to denanywhere.com now, no matter where you live in the world, and you can take our classes virtually and live. Go to denanywhere.com and sign up for just $29.99 a month. You get a limited access to our classes with over 150 a month to choose from. Plus, most of them are archived, so if you can't make the exact time, you can catch them later. We still also have our workshops and our certifications now all accessible to you, no matter where you are. Go to (music) denanywhere.com. Welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is your host, Tal, and I'm the founder of Den Meditation. We have Shannon Algio on again. I love him. If you haven't heard any of his other episodes, please do. His first one with us will be actually a great one to do with this because he talks about so many fun personal stories. On that episode, and he actually ended up writing a book that talks a lot about those stories as well. And this book is called Trust Your Truth. And we talk a lot about it today, and it is coming out, so you must go get it. It is such a beautiful and easy read, which I love, easy read because it's fun and there's so many relatable stories. But in every chapter which walks you through your body and how to find truth within all of these different parts of you, and by the time you get to the end, you've really uncovered a purpose within you. You've uncovered truths that you probably didn't realize are there. You know, he and I talk a lot about in this episode, this idea that there's so much subconscious, so much in this darkness that we never see or touch or feel, but it actually controls so much of our daily lives, controls your emotions, your reactions, how you feel about things. So this book is really a way to kind of get control over that. And it's amazing. We also cover so many other things per all of our conversations. We always have so much fun talking. We actually get into the failed coup attempt. We actually get into why things within the spiritual community and Q and kind of how things are being processed and thought about why that can be triggering as well. So we do talk, we cover a whole gamut of amazing topics. And he, again, is just such a fun person to listen to and talk to. I hope you enjoy the episode.
3: I mean, but it was, it's, you know, it's winter. It's so cold.
2: It's cold. (laughs) I know. I love it. Let's just roll in. I love this. Shannon and I are talking about the East Coast um, because we're both from there. And we're talking about he is now in sitting in Venice, actually, but lives in Topanga. And I just came from Los Angeles. So we've, we've both been a little, what's the word like sun West coast, like shifted. And I just thought it was going to be so hard to be here in the winter. And it just has not.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you said you went to Tufts. I went to Syracuse and oh wow, that's even colder. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like by the lake. So it just like rains snow for like nine months. Yeah. It's like, it's like snow rain. For, for nine months of the year and um and yeah i mean it, winter is like that kind of thing like i miss it for like i i, I need to i feel like i need to experience it every year just yeah. even if it's just like a little bit of it and I, that's one thing that la doesn't give is like seasons this the seasons and like like the cloudy days and and like the extremes that like kind of make you feel your own extremes well i think that's
2: the one thing i've learned which has been really interesting and i was craving it Like I was craving it. So now having it, I'm like, oh, I get why I was craving it, which is the seasons. I mean, look, it's what you and I do every day and teach every day. But it's funny when you're actually confronted with it. It's like the seasons force you to move in a cycle of which you're naturally supposed to do. So the emotional cycle you're supposed to do, the physical cycle that all blends with nature and with the moon and the sun and all of that, that you don't get in Los Angeles. I'll speak specifically for there. And therefore you don't realize how often you're actually not going with the ebb and flow of what would really help you with your own growth. Because it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, you naturally get quieter during this time. You naturally get a little softer. You eat differently. You're not doing as much. It's less active, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I feel like that's what it's called for. There's a little more reading, a little bit more learning. It feels like that's naturally being excited, at least in me. And And it feels like because you take such advantage of the different seasons that it activates different parts of you that in LA, I could find it was beautiful. I mean, I loved it, but you're activated kind of in the same way almost the whole time. You have to really go out of your way if you want to do those ebb and flows.
3: Oh my gosh, totally. It's I'm having like two paradoxical thoughts. One (laughs) is like, like in LA, I miss the snow day where you're just forced inside. There's nothing you can do about it. And there's something in Delaware or Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. When you you, you have a snow day on the East Coast and you just are stuck inside and you went and you bought a bunch of eggs and like, you know, all the things that you need at the grocery store. But on the other hand, one thought I've had about, about LA and Southern California is that it's made me more fine tuned to like the subtlety of the seasons.
2: Ooh, I like that. Yeah.
3: Like, winter is winter in LA, even though it's not extreme like it is on the East Coast and other places. But there's still like there still is a season change. It's just like more subtle.
2: It's so subtle, though, because sometimes <laughs> like to me, you get moments and I love those moments in LA, like a dark, cloudy moment or a cool more. Like there's something so amazing about it. And you really it's hilarious how the whole city just stops. Like if there's like a drop of rain, it's amazing because everyone's like so excited to kind of take advantage of that shift but i mean one of my favorite things about la like i was thinking back from like my early 20s was like day drinking every weekend in 80 degree weather in the middle of january like yep that's what my 20s were. It was like a bunch of people getting together, being outside in the middle of like, January and just being like, I'm wearing a tank top and enjoying myself. And it's January 20th. <laughs>
3: that, that, that's what got me to move out here because I, vis- I was living in New York City for eight years. I was very tired of the winters because you're such a pedestrian in New York City. Yeah. You're like in it. And I came out here with my boyfriend out the t- at the time. And we were on the, we were at the Ace Hotel on the rooftop at the pool and i was like in february and yeah. i was just like okay sold let's do this
2: did and so did you two move out here together
3: yeah like a year maybe a year later ish
2: so is this the one that cheated on you or is this the one that taught you that you're codependent cuz i we're going to get right into the book which is amazing
3: <laughs> <laughs> diving right in that's that's both both
2: the same one yeah I I love it. So I'll back up and then we're going to get into that because that's great. (laughs) Is Shannon wrote this incredible book, Trust Your Truth, which I love because anyone who takes my classes or comes to the den or listens to me knows that's all I'm about the whole time is like, what's your truth, truth, truth. It doesn't matter what it is, just figure it out and find it and also be aware your truth might evolve and shift. So be comfortable with that. So he writes this amazing book, which you all have to get, and we're going to chat about. And it's so beautiful how you walk people, which we'll get into kind of through the body and how you can get to know yourself and your truths as you walk through the chakra system, but also your body. But in there, we get these great personal stories of his. And I love how you were talking about, A, the cheating we have to get into, but I just thought it was hilarious how you were talking about codependency and being codependent. And you always thought that idea was insane, but you found yourself in a fight with your boyfriend and your boyfriend basically just screamed, you're so codependent.
3: (laughs) Yep. And I just
2: was like, that's such a hilarious thing for someone to scream because usually when someone's codependent, there's kind of a do, I feel like a dance happening and the other person kind of fills it well too. So Mm -hmm. it's funny that that person, uh, the other person actually points it out because usually they're kind of lost in that dance themselves, I find.
3: Yeah, which I think may have ended up being the case. But at the time, like I was the codependent one, at least that was what was like, that's what he was aware of at the time. And I, I just, I remember being like, that like what are you talking about that's not me i'm not codependent like that doesn't resonate with me what the fuck and you know 2 years later i'm going to these uh, al anon meetings these 12 step meetings um and al anon is for those who don't know it's it's a 12 step program that basically deals with like the emotional impact of um, growing up in a in a family where there's alcoholism um, or or any kind of addiction, so it's not just the addict that develops the emotional patterns. It's also the family or and the unit around the system. addict
2: yeah.
3: that like also develops these um, these behavioral patterns and emotional patterns that are often you know kind of codependent and and dancing around the addict, and so when I started to go to these meetings I was like you know you listen to people talking and sharing and I was just having all of these like moments of resonance like oh my god and and then I went from being really defensive about like I'm not codependent to being like I would call my sister and I'd be like oh my god I'm so codependent and she'd be like oh my god me too and and so we kind of embraced that it was like by identifying these patterns of codependency and being able to see like the roots of where they come from in our in our family unit um, what was the first you actually thing actually take responsibility for, for the, those, those things. It was actually kind of empowering.
2: What was the first thing you heard in that meeting that made you go, Oh, oh, oh that's me. <laughs> Do you remember <laughs> like one of the first things that you're like, okay, that sounds a little bit too familiar.
3: Yeah. Well, I think this goes so hand in hand with like, like trusting your truth is that, is that codependence like look to the person outside of themselves to determine who or how they need to be. So it was like hearing these stories of like, you know, uh, like the way I related to codependence is like, I'm going to look at you tall, assess where you're at emotionally and then become a chameleon and, and just totally cater myself to your emotional state instead of standing in, in the truth of my own experience. So, so for me, it was just hearing these stories about how, how codependency is like this lack of a container for one's self and just a complete um, like morphing to, to someone else's self. And it it comes from the coping mechanism of like, I need to be safe. Mm -hmm. And so if my parent, this person who's like here to protect and love me, you know, is, is not happy with me, then I'm not gonna feel safe. And they might, what you know, who knows what could happen. They might be mad at me that I don't feel emotionally safe. Maybe they'll kick me out of the house, I don't know. So it, it's, it's a survival strategy to meet the needs of the person outside of us so that we can kind of stay in their good graces. But obviously that doesn't that's not a path to like empowerment and no, and it's
2: funny, I find codependency to be one of the harder. I mean, everyone has something, right? I mean, we all have something. That's everyone just needs to admit that right now. I always tell people that I'm like, if you're looking inwards and think you don't have anything or haven't worked through anything, you're already on the wrong track. But I find codependency to be one of the hardest to shift from because there's an element within codependency that gets shrouded of the good that you're doing. Because ultimately, if you're doing a dance, like you described it, this chameleon dance, you're doing it to make somebody else feel good. You're doing it to make sure somebody else is happy. And it gets darker, as you know, or deeper, where it's like you're not taking care of yourself because you're so busy making sure someone else is getting fed or getting their meds or doing this or staying on their schoolwork or whatever it is. It comes in so many different shapes and forms, um, making sure they're getting up to go to their job. I mean, whatever it is. It's like it's so hard for someone to realize why that could not be a good thing. Because we're raised as human beings to so be like, think about others, take care of others, love your neighbor, you know, or thy neighbor if I want to be specific. And it's so it's such an interesting switch to understand like that that fine line of taking care of others, being good to others, you know, wanting to help others, but making sure it's not at the expense of yourself.
3: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And and even as we're having this conversation, I'm aware of like the it's not a binary like codependence is not a binary where like codependency is a bad thing. I think that like kind of what I spoke to earlier, I started to become proud of of seeing the codependency. Right. Because it wasn't that the codependency was bad. It was the not seeing it that was causing it to be a toxic pattern within myself because I was unconscious of, of just how codependent I was or where I was codependent or when I was codependent or, or why I was being codependent in certain relationships. And so it's like, we, I mean, we need each other. We all need each other. And in relationships, there's going to be an energetic give and take. And obviously, like if someone who you love is going through a hard time, you might want to get them out of bed, or you want to might might ha- want to help them with their schoolwork. You you're gonna we 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 should be invested in each other. I, I don't exactly. think the solution is you know the type of individualism that's like I am affected by no one. I am a self sustaining being. that... <laughs> because that that has its own problems with it as well, which we can kind of see the impact of like rugged individualism on our society in so many ways right now as we're as we're doing this interview. So it's like I mean, I think what it's like the concept of interdependence yeah. that we need each other and we can consciously kind of dance between our um collaboration with the people we love, but also our ability to take a step away and like, be um be in charge of our own energy fields but if we just do one or the other then we're not really like participating in the dance
2: and that's interesting and then that's what makes it complicated it's a dance so there's like no formula there's no because that's when you're talking to people it's sometimes hard to explain. No, it's it's, like you said, it's not become the most selfish person ever and it's not give yourself to everybody else. It's this dance. And then it goes back to what the whole point of your book is about is you got to figure out your truth so that you can check in and know when it's, it's healthy to be giving and when it's healthy to be taking and when it's healthy to be static.
3: Totally. Yeah. And, And that, that's what came up in that relationship that I write about in the book, which is like, I have like so much gratitude for that relationship and I have such like deep reverence for the amount of pain that it, that it caused. (laughs) And we, we talked about it on, on um, my, actually I'll, I'll say this because I think it's important to say my interview with you. And I think the title of it on the Den Talks podcast was Tales of Truth. Mm -hmm. I left that interview and I said to myself, holy shit, I know what my book is. I know what chills. it is. Yeah, and I remember calling my mom and being like, "Is it okay that I'm talking about this aspect?" Because we talked talked about my mom's sexual trauma and in, in that in that interview, and I was like, oh, "Oh shit!" Like, I think it's okay with her. I should call her and like talk to her about that. And she was like, "Of course." Um, but so so here we are in the new year, and this is actually my first interview for the book in 2021. And oh so God, it feels I serendipitous that. to be like. Kind of in this new cycle, coming back to having this conversation with you.
2: That's so funny. Yeah, we talked about a lot of these stories. When I was reading the book, I was like, "Ooh, it's good." Yeah. Um, something we also talked about, and one I don't remember which because I've had you on twice, was also about how you're not great with criticism, and so I was like, "How's that going for you with the book?" Because <laughs> <laughs> that's hard, but we can address that after. I mean, it's hard to write a book and have an editor and deal with criticism and not be good at dealing with criticism. That's a challenge. That's going to be. Oh my
3: gosh. Yeah. Well, it's, um, an interesting thing about writing a book and I feel like there was a question that I like didn't answer. We'll get to it. I remember it. Okay. Okay. Great. So what's interesting about writing a book is this, this process has been like almost three years. And so like, I'm not the same person I was when I started writing the book proposal when we signed the book deal, when I wrote the book. So it's like, it's wild to write something and to be growing at the same time. And, and so, the, you know, reading back, yeah, getting feedback from editors, like sometimes it's totally fine with me. Other times I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> But usually it's not so much, a. will be like, what the fuck at their comment, but then I'll be like, then it'll kind of shift back to me and be like, well, what the fuck are you trying to say, Shannon? Like, what is she trying to say? What are you trying to say? (laughs) And so I did experience a lot of that intensity, but then I would also go through phases of reading the book where I just would be like, this is complete shit. And what's the point? And does this make any sense? And then I would have to take a step away and say like, okay, Shannon, like you're so close to this material. It's very hard to view it objectively, but like, what if you sat down and read the book as if you were like really excited to read it and you, you felt like, oh, there's something good here. And then I would start to read it and I'd be like, oh my God, this is amazing. That's so
2: interesting. Just you shifting your perspective on how you were going to read it. That says a lot about all of us actually.
3: Yeah. Oh, I could be so mean. And, and, but it's, it's interesting because that part of me that can be so critical is a necessary part of the process as well, because I, it's like, well, we're going to print 20,000 copies. So I want to edit with a very uh, sharp eye. Yeah. But then at the same time, it's like, and trust there's other people reading this too. We'll catch that and it's it's good enough like i I'm, I'm in school um for psychology right now and there's this concept it, there's an archetypal concept um in jungian psychology called the good enough mother hmm. and uh the good enough mother is this idea that like as soon as the umbilical cord is and maybe you can relate to this cuz you're an actual mother but as soon as the umbilical cord is cut like you have an imperfect parent because you're the parent is unable to immediately meet the needs of this being
2: no oh, that's so true yeah
3: and so in psychology there's this idea of of like just being a good enough mother is like a, is sufficient because you're not going to be able to like coddle every cry meet every need but if you can be a good enough uh parent, then that can be sufficient to helping this you know child survive and, and thrive. And so I definitely feel like I got to a good like like a good enough point with the book because it's like I could edit it until it becomes a totally different book. But the point oh. is that we want to write uh, that like we want to create this book.
2: <laughs> and this is this so funny? Again, it's also like where you come from because I say that a lot too where I have to be like, it's good enough. It's good enough. But I think I'm like you. I have a critical eye. Like I can be really tough for like one, like, it's like always improving, always improving. But then there might be someone who is the opposite, who might be like, it's good enough. And then it's an entirely different ball of wax. You know what I mean? If it's someone who doesn't like to put the work into stuff and it's like, it's good enough, then it's almost taken more as the like, I don't want to do the extra work. So it's it's so funny how the same thing, depending on where you come from, again, it goes back to your truth, is like what's right for you? What's the truth for you? What is what is us giving up? What is us going too hard? What is us knowing that this is exactly where we need to let go?
3: Totally. Yeah. And it requires everything that I feel like we both practice and meditation is like it requires presence to be like, like if I if I had that good enough attitude when I was writing the book, then that might've been weird. Cause it's like, actually, no, it's your job right now to sit down and like create this chapter and put your all into it. But it's like on the third copy edit, (laughs) it's like, you've done, I've done so much work on this book. Like it's okay now to take my foot off the gas and be like,
2: and you can rewrite a sentence a million times and be conveying the exact same thing.
3: Right. And I will. Right, I <laughs> yeah, will.
2: I'm sure you would. But <laughs> it's great. You did a great job, and your voice is so apparent in it, which I love. And those stories, which brings us back to what we were talking about. We were talking about kind of codependency and the depths of pain of learning your truth. And you were saying how th- this boyfriend, you have you know so much love for that relationship because it taught you so much and so much reverence for the pain. And that's kind of where we moved off because we were talking about your truth.
3: Thank you. Yes, of course. I of course my unconscious mind ran away from the reverence of pain. I was like, <laughs> I don't remember what that was. Um, yeah, I, I have so much respect for that relationship because it was filled with lessons, and um, and one of those lessons was was codependency, and and I think. You know, the the essence of the codependency that was present in that relationship was just how much power I was giving away to that other person without self-respect and autonomy and a sense of regard for Shannon as someone who is worthy of the amount of attention I was giving to him. (laughs) It's like, why are you giving that much attention to someone else? and offloading it off of my of yourself like that that's what i was doing in the relationship and so that relationship needed to come crumbling down in order for me to to have that you know rock bottom moment of like i deserve my own attention i i deserve to to take all of this attention i was giving on and placing onto someone else and just take a look within myself and say, what's happening here for you? What is your truth? You matter. And I think for, for people who are healers and people who are doing work in the world and and who have that calling to help others, when we get into our most intimate relationships, I I know for myself, it can be so tempting to want to like develop that person and fix that Mm -hmm. person and heal that person. But (laughs) really, that, that was disrespectful to the person I was in relationship with because he was showing me exactly who he was at that point in his, on his journey. And I was trying to change him in order to be in relationship with someone that I felt safe to be in relationship with instead of being like, well, you know, now I, if I were in those circumstances, I would be like, I, you got to let that go.
2: Right. It's not right um, for me.
3: But yeah, exactly. But the codependency says I need to, like, you know, go to the ends of the earth to make this work. It
2: I'm so similar. It's funny. And I've always, people who listen to this podcast know it's like I've said this about my relationship got really good and really strong when I stopped trying to shift him and change him. And it's and it was never that I was changing him because I didn't like what it was. It was more like, I see the best in you why don't you see the best in you you know what I mean but Mm. the problem is even though that you have all the best intentions is what you're indirectly telling someone is what you're doing now is not good enough and Mm. it's not good enough for me and it's not good enough and like even though that's not what I felt or meant that is the message that I think subconsciously comes across because clearly it's like you're always trying to help them strive for something else. And as we all know, you can't, nobody can strive for anything else unless they want to or doing it themselves. And then the joke was the minute I kind of like pulled off, it's the growth was ridiculous that happened. Amazing Mm. On, Mm. on his own. So it is so true. It's like, you can't. And even though, you, it can be two things. It's sometimes the saving. It's like, no, I know what they can be. I want to save them, like you said, and make it right for me. Or you're trying to just change someone to make them right for you, you know, or it's like, no, I see the potential. Why aren't they seeing it? But like you, it's like, we're all on these journeys and we all have more potential in us and we don't always reach it. I mean, that's what we're doing. We're always growing and seeing where we can go, but who knows where that end is.
3: Yeah. Well, and, and that's where I think the trust your truth is. There is there is a call within each of us, um, like you just described in your relationship. There was a call within that person to be self determining in his own way, uh, so that he could determine the next step of his journey. And it's like that. I mean, that's what trusting your truth is. Is that we. We all can help each other. We can hold each other's hands. We can hug each other. We can like encourage each other. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we also are individual and need to go inside of ourselves to determine, you know, based on our own internal compass, what is the next step towards living a life of truth for me. And I, I see the image of the, dance, the dancing because it's like, mm-hmm. yes, I'm doing that individually. But as I do that, it might affect my relationship with my sister. It might affect the type of relationship I want to be in romantically. It might affect the type of work I'm doing in the world. So then it's like, do I have the capacity as I'm trusting my truth and taking those little steps towards my truth? Do I have the capacity to let myself change and transform because we're not going to be who we were yesterday? Right. I mean, that's the paradox. Like, I was home with my parents over the over the uh, holiday, and we were watching home videos. (laughs) And my mom was watching a video of herself, and she laughed, and she said, "Wow, you really are who you are, aren't you?" Because she was kind. There was something she said that's like that she said twenty five years ago that she had just said like the same thing the day before, (laughs) like, and and it's paradoxical because it's like, yes, she is that same person who she's always been. And I see like so much growth in my mom and so much healing and so much confidence. And so it's like, it's, it's kind of wild just to watch ourselves grow.
2: I was literally just talking about this in class the other day, because I was saying it it is a paradox and it's interesting where there is that soul part of you, that soul essence that will always be you. And it's you. And sometimes it gets stamped, like stomped on, sometimes it's brighter, but it's always you. But then everything around you is shifting and growing and changing and I said, because I was talking about old friends, how like when you really, and for you guys, it was like family, but like when you really start talking to people, like I have friends that I've known since kindergarten and, you know, sometimes I might be talking about something in my life and they'll be like, and I'll be like, oh, like frustrated or confused or whatever it is about it. And a friend will be like, oh, Tali, that's so you. And they'll like, give me this, a story that supports exactly like my personality of where I'm at from first grade, let's say something 20, 30, I mean, God, I just made myself much younger than I am. Um, but let's go <laughs> with that. <laughs> Whatever amount of years it was ago. And um, and you're like, oh, and it's something I wouldn't have remembered about myself. And just that memory, and it's happened to me a couple of times with those friends, um, that memory alone, I'm like, there's something very comfort comforting to be like, oh yeah, that is me. And it's still me. And I'm always me. But yes, mm-hmm. this me can grow and grow and grow and expand and expand and expand. But it is, it's that interesting, wait, aren't we always changing, but we're the same? Which one is it?
3: Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's—and I, I think that there's this like de-layering of, of letting go of the things that we sort of accumulated in our, I don't know, our our teens and our 20s and our 30s, all of that, like kind of adding mm-hmm. on to ourselves to like be more to the ego, kind yep. of like- expand our ego selves and it's like it's realizing those moments like your friend pointed out like wow like that really is me but it, but the way you said it it sounds like you appreciate that part of yourself you love that part of yourself I love
2: the re-knowing I love mm-hmm. I love that sense for me I love that sense of I'm not, I'm not changing. Look, some people are chameleons because they don't know who they are, you know? And it's like, now look, you have to, it's again, it's that paradox of know who you are, find your truth, but always be open to the evolution. Um, But if you can do that, there is like this core that's just, it's you and it shifts. Like what I do, how I talk. I mean, if you look at the outside of my life, it's completely different than it was, you know, six years ago, seven years ago. So um, but it's, but anyone who knows me, there's just certain things about who I am that are me. You know what I mean? And so there was something very comforting that I really loved in it, of this sense of like my anchor is there.
3: Mm, mm.
2: If that makes sense.
3: Yeah, and and I I love that because that that really is what the journey of this book is, and I think that the the path in the book through the chakras mm-hmm. is like looking. A lot of it is looking back and. And discovering those parts of yourself, or, or rediscovering, remembering those parts of, of ourselves that maybe we left behind, or maybe we've like forgotten, or we're, we're not giving enough value or importance to. And being like, "Wow, like that is me. That is part of my truth." What if I owned that instead of pretending like it wasn't really a big deal, or thinking it's like, a, uh, you know, something bad about myself? What if I was just like, "Yeah, that's who I am." I mean, I'm intense. I've always been intense.
2: (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you understand it. I mean, that's what probably, like you said, creates a really good book. It's probably, you know, I mean, there's a huge benefit. That's why you have to own these parts of your personality. So then like what your book does so well is then points you in the direction of taking advantage of who you are versus trying to be someone else. And it's like, I love your journal prompts are amazing in the book because it really does, like you said, get you thinking. And like you said, there, you know, especially at the root of who are you? Like, what are the things you enjoy? Like, what actually gives you joy? And I, I like that you prefaced with, "Do not overthink this. This does not have to be a good or a bad thing. It does not have to make major change in the world." Like, I mean, it could be like cutting out coupons for all you know. You know what I mean? And it's like just figure that out because from there, there's an essence that you could take advantage of every single day to keep bringing joy into your life.
3: Mm, yeah, that that's um. I think that's from the the third chapter, pa- power up your soul's purpose.
2: Is it? I love it.
3: Where like the the first the first chapter is like the first chakra, and it's yeah. about grounding into your the body. Root. Exactly the root, and and we look at the root chakra, and we look at root trauma, like trauma from the family of origin that created a template that might be disconnecting you from your from your true self. And then the second chapter is about the relationships, the masculine and the feminine creativity. And then the third chapter is that's where the journaling exercises that you're naming now is power up your soul's purpose. And it's like, yeah, what, what brings you joy? And it's interesting because when I read books, I don't like do journaling exercises. Like I generally am not that kind of person. But I know that a lot of people like those exercises, so I wanted to include them. Um, but so I really tried to write questions that I would want to answer that, like, aren't like I don't know. They're just questions that that if you ask the question to yourself, some answer is going to come up. And like like you said, it doesn't have to be right or wrong. It's I think what I'm most interested in and what is most interesting is like if you just get your pen to the page and you see what comes out then that that is enough like that is that that is informative yeah. and th- that's how i love to journal cuz i i i just i'll i'll write a question to myself on the top of my page and be like i don't even know if i have anything to say about this question but it just kind of came <laughs> to mind and then i'll spend 20 minutes like feverishly writing 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 and so it's like um i and i write about that in another chapter of the book is like what questions are we asking ourselves because yeah. I could be asking myself, like, what sucks about my life? And then my mind has the creative capacity to generate that answer. But I could also ask myself, what is amazing about my life? And then my mind is going to, like, search and seek to create that answer.
2: Well, you were talking all about energy, which I love, and how everything carries an energy. And one of the things you said, I don't know if it was from that chapter you're referring to now, but I, I want to see because I wrote it down. It's... um I can't remember, but you said something to the effect of like, you have a choice in every moment to reclaim or give away your energy. Cause, and that's by the way, with words too, with thoughts, with questions. And it's like, what are you choosing in those moments to, to produce? Is it, do you, are you trying to gain energy for yourself or do you want to lose energy for yourself?
3: Yeah. And that's the, that's the like harnessing of the third chakra. And the the third chakra is the, Um, the solar plexus. It is that it's kind of the house of the soul, but it's also the center of the ego self where we learn like, this is who I am. (laughs) Like we were talking about that before that like autonomy of I like, I'm not an amoeba blob. That's just like coexisting in an energetic field. I I do have like a Shannon-ness. I have a body. And so (laughs) (laughs) that's that it's like, Th- that means that I have a choice about what I give my energy towards. A- and also I have the capacity to like hold my energy and, and and draw it in. And so when we going back to codependency or in relationships or jobs or dynamics where we give a lot of our power away, yep. w- w- we tend to be unconscious of, of that fire within ourselves. And it's a very like, it's a very real, tangible, like physical thing. Like we can feel the fire within. We all are like furnaces. Uh, I can feel my body is like hot right now. It's like, it's, um, it's energy. And so we have the capacity to like be in relationship with where we are directing that fire.
2: And you were talking about like when you get triggered by someone, I found this interesting that when you get triggered by someone, you're actually cording energetically to them, which is why then you become obsessed. So it's like you end up thinking about them all the time because just by that trigger alone, you've naturally tied yourself to them with like an energetic cord you can't see, but an energetic cord nonetheless. So you're constantly getting fed their energy and that's why you can't get out of it. Yes. I thought that was fascinating. Yes,
3: I and I learned that in... Um, I I really got that in a really big and embodied way in the off the mat into the world yoga leadership training that I did with our mutual friend, Sean Korn and Hala Corey and Suzanne Sterling. And that was something that, that Hala, who is a somatic therapist and yoga teacher and one of the co-founders of off the mat, um, Hala really, uh, taught that of like, when we are triggered, the, the, like we we all start with our power right in our center. And like you said, when we get triggered, our power gets like pinged to whatever the situation or the person is outside of us. And then that's what creates the cord. And so that then we begin, like, just like you said, we get obsessed with with fixing the trigger outside of us. But if we can develop tools for grounding, for breathing, for drawing that energy back in. It could feel so hard at first to bring the energy back in. But if we can actually do that, then we can find our center again and make a choice from that center instead of from the the cord or the trigger.
2: So what do we do if we're being triggered by Trump? (laughs) It's been, we're talking today, it's right after the failed coup attempt on our government. So it's still very triggering.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, what what do we do if we're triggered by Trump?
2: Because now I keep feeling like I'm just making him more powerful because I'm pinging him and giving him my energy for my core center. And so are many others. It's like, if you're in the movies, you're watching the monster blow up, blow up, blow up and get bigger and bigger and bigger until it's not a failed attempt.
3: Yeah. The, <laughs> this is a this is a gross analogy, but like Trump is the like pussy part of the pimple.
2: Mm. So far you're on.
3: <laughs> That's actually a boil deep yeah. underneath the surface of the skin. Yeah. And and so I I just think to focus on Trump exclusively is to miss like, like he's a, you know, so many people have said this, but it needs, I guess it needs to be said That's again 10, and again, yeah. is he's the symptom of, of a deeper cause. But, but, but now there's like this cyclical thing happening that the symptom has like exacerbated the, the cause. So he's kind of brought more and more of that part of the society that is racist and, um, does fall prey to conspiracy theories and um is is you know uh, susceptible to misinformation he he's amplifying that you know part of our our culture that's already been there but it, but it is right like if and i've seen this i've seen this in people like very very close to me who obsess about trump and I really do think if you're not conscious of that obsession, you kind of in some ways become like the liberal version of Trump. And it's like, and so I just think it's something to watch because it's like, well, I could become obsessed about Trump. And, and, and of course I would, to be triggered by Trump, we can't control what triggers us. So if someone's triggered right. by Trump, I'm not like trigger shaming them. It, it's, it is very triggering to see someone in that position of power, the president of the United States, like gaslighting people. I mean, he gave a speech about the coup that you mentioned saying, these people are so wrong, they need to be, you know, held accountable. They are, you know, despicable. But but he was kind of reading that speech speech, but just the day before he was with those people saying, I love you, you're amazing, thank you. And, and, and he was encouraging them and sending them to the Capitol. Yeah. So um so then there's like this gaslighting thing that happens where on one hand he says whatever he wants and he shows you who he really is. But then when they're about to invoke the 25th amendment where vice president Mike Pence could come in and, re- and replace him or he might get impeached again. We'll see. We'll probably know by the time that this is out. I but, know. But he, he then when that's about to happen, he says whatever he needs to say in order to then calm the storm that he created. That's so he doesn't lose power.
2: It's funny. And it's funny you say that because I was trying to think about it. I'm like, cause I was very triggered in these past day or two, whenever it is. And I was like, why? Because I'm with you. I agree that I'm usually, as much as I don't agree with a lot of things and have strong opinions and Um, really want to help change and shift certain things. I'm with you where I try and be very, I try not to get down the wormhole of the sense of like, you know, I do what I can do on a bigger cause basis versus it just being about this one man who is clearly has issues. But for some reason, this was really, I was like, oh, this is how I know people have felt for four years. This like, you almost want to watch the news the whole time. You're so angry. And I realized for me, it's the bullshit effect. I don't do well with bullshit. So just seeing Mm -hmm. and like, look, he's been lying for four years. So it's not that this is anything new, but it's so obvious in these moments that I, I guess I don't understand how there's still a huge population that is being gaslit by it. And that to me is so sad and triggering because then I'm like, I don't get it then if we can't all find some semblance of, anything then what can possibly happen to us you know what i mean
3: oh my god well it's it is the essence of of triggering because <laughs> it's it's like this sense of safety and security that comes from knowing that your reality is validated by a larger system outside of you that there's just certain things in our society and our culture that we can rely on to be like what they are and that's all come into question with Trump to the point where it's you know 13 days out from uh, his last day of being president and Joe Biden being inaugurated, and you know you see these white supremacist, you know, domestic terrorist groups stoked by the validation of the president going and su- successfully storming the Capitol and causing an evacuation. When, when we just saw over the summer, um, the president used the military to tear gas peaceful protesters so that he could have this, this photo moment with the Bible that he held upside down. And so, so I mean, so much of it is triggering. It's like, if, if you're if you're a white Trump supporter storming the Capitol bashing windows and threatening the lives of Congress people, there's no barely any police response. But if you're a Black Lives Matter protester and you're protesting about race, then you're getting tear gassed just for being in the street.
2: And I guess that's what's hard for me is there's things that are black and white in front of you. Like, I get it. All news sources skew things. I get it. Like, I get why people don't fully trust. However, there are certain things that... Are actually in front of you like you see him doing certain things he writes things on his twitter account like there are things that are just truth you see it happen you see him write it you hear him say it and that's the part that i'm struggling with i'm like if you're watching that stuff and then you see that how it you know one thing doesn't add up to the other or how the inequity of doing one thing versus the other or how he said this but then change like how are you not putting it together? It's in versus, I don't know, that's where I get frustrated. It's that lack of, which is a whole nother, we could go off on this for hours.
3: <laughs> well, let, let me say one thing that was really validating nice. for me. In, in the fall, I started my first quarter of graduate school in depth psychology. And at the beginning of my all of my courses, all of my professors were mentioning Trump. Um, and I was surprised by that because this is like a case study. (laughs) Well, it's an institution. I didn't think that they were going to be talking about politics. And I, of course, am like totally fine with that. But when you're in a room of like 34 people who you're just getting to know, and and when I say room, I mean a zoom Zoom. room, (laughs) but like, I just wasn't expecting them to have an opinion about politics in a graduate institute. I just, not that I was necessarily shocked. I just wasn't expecting to hear about it. But I am in a school that's that's psychology. Right. It's a psychology school. Virtually all of my professors have used Trump <laughs> as just a, like, by-the-book example of narcissistic personality disorder. I know. It's... Like, it, they're not taking a political stance. They're just taking a, a psychological example. stance. Yeah. <laughs> like, and so... I don't know. That was like validating for me to hear, like, my professors in my graduate school being like, what we're seeing is narcissistic personality disorder because the essence of, of a narcissist is an incapacity to um, mentalize, which means to kind of process shame, an incapacity to feel any kind of shame. So they deflect, they blame, they point fingers. And they are completely invested in in enhancing their own sense of self, no matter the cost. Right. And so
2: which, which we've seen in these last few weeks for sure.
3: Few weeks and four years. It's like yeah. <laughs> And so, I don't know. I don't know if that's hopeful or refreshing to anyone, but there's something in that that, like, oh, like I this is say, a personality disorder that in our highest the, office. That
2: helped me through the four years, too, is like, yes, the narcissism, but also I just always, whenever I'm really frustrated with him, and frankly, my triggering is actually not him in this, is what I told Alec the other day. I go, I'm actually not triggered by Trump. None of this surprises me. He has been himself tried and true from the beginning. So, like, I think what I'm triggered by, is the lack of anyone reacting or doing anything about it that has allowed the behavior to get to this point. So like, as a parent, if your mm-hmm. kid is displaying a certain tendency of stuff and you just choose to ignore it and ignore it ignore it and escalates, what do you expect kind of thing? And I would never be almost mad at the kid. I'd be really annoyed at the parents of like, what are you doing? And so I think my triggering when it got to this was more with supporters, with the government and this kind of like everyone just pussyfooting And I'm like, but look where it's gotten us. I'm like, he's done nothing surprising here. He's continued to be the man. I didn't say narcissistic, but I'm like, who's just been trying to impress his dead father because he never got that approval. And he's this little kid who's desperate for an approval and will do anything to whatever it takes to make it look like he is successful in his brain. And, but he's been doing that, like you said, for four years. So for me, the trigger really wasn't so much, I said Trump, but it's not so much him because like he can't, like you said, that does actually give me solace. It's like, he's doing as much as he's capable of. Unfortunately, you don't want that personality at the helm, but it is, it's more the reactions around. And that's been hard for me is like, and a little bit, that's been really hard for me, I think.
3: Yeah. Yeah. that And that makes, that makes so much sense. And, and that's been, yeah, that's been, um, specifically with the QAnon, um, thing, movement in the spirituality community, which I, didn't you and Sean do a podcast about that? Yes, we did.
2: Because I'm very frustrated about that too.
3: Well, yeah, because that's, that felt so triggering to me, similar to what you're saying, because I was like, wait, 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 this is too close to home. This is, this is yoga, which is this like sacred practice that I do multiple times a week. That's like, such an important part of my my spiritual practice and my body practice like now there's there's people in the yoga community who are calling Donald Trump a light worker a I was savior. like here he's a whoa, savior. whoa 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 <laughs> like um so anyway th- that that really triggered me because I was just like
2: Look, to me, that overlaps with what I'm saying. That's exactly what's triggering me. It's kind of this lack of awareness and bypassing and shifting into just taking these answers. You know, it's funny. It's a lot of people saying that we're all sheep because we're watching the news or whatever it is, when ultimately I keep looking and being like, the only people that look like sheep to me are you. because you keep chasing this train of thought that is illogical and makes no sense and changes by the week, depending on what's happening. Like to me, it's like anyone who follows Q and I I keep following certain friends of mine who do, because I like to keep up with what insanity they're digesting to know what it is. And what I'm, I always want to say to them and I don't, I just, you know, but I always want to be like, how are you not realizing that even your, your logic that every time you come out and say you guys just wait, this was planned. In two days, you're gonna find out that this happens and that's, and using the election, he'll never be brought in to be president because you're gonna find this out. And then two days happens and like nothing it transpires. And then it's like, you just wait. In five days, you're gonna find out the biggest thing because now they found this out. And like, so it's always as if what they do is they dangle these huge events that are gonna happen that somehow explain why all the other stuff didn't happen. And even now, like now it's Biden did get, you know, officiated into office. It is going to happen. But now it's like, that was planned. It's this. I'm like, wait, but if that was planned, how do any of the things that you said before make sense? Because according to all your stuff before, it's just, this a logical trail. So to me, Mm
1: Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now.
0: Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code
2: CAR. You guys are all sheep. And then, as far as those in the spiritual community, It's this total bypassing, not wanting to deal with the fact that this can be triggering like you and I are talking about. It can be frustrating. It can be sad. It is unfair. There is complete inequality that is being unearthed. I mean, it's already been there, but I mean, unearthed in a big way and you can't ignore it. And I am very disappointed in a lot of people who have not only chosen to ignore it, but then made it worse by actually putting misinformation out there.
3: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What was occurring to me while you're talking is like that we, we have a mental health crisis in our society, like up and down the, 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 the dysregulation that it takes, like, like, do, do you realize I'm just, this is what I'm thinking right now is like how dysregulated that person's nervous system must be to be in that, like, I'm thinking of Claire Danes in Homeland, oh, kind of like with yes. pinning all the things on the wall and having like a psychotic break. Like it's, I mean, it's teetering in that, in that world. So and, and I do think that like people at their core or, or, or the people are trying to cling to a sense of reality, a sense of some type of safety or like people are trying to make sense of we are in the midst of this pandemic. And I just don't think that we realize that we're like, because we're all designed to cope and kind of ground and like hunker down and take care of ourselves and our people and just kind of get through day to day. Like we're in a global pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, one of the things I thought about coming out with this book, I was like, trust your truth, trust your truth, trust your truth. And then I saw the QAnon thing and I was like, Oh, but don't trust your truth if that's your truth.
2: <laughs> right. But that's an interesting, like, that's an interesting thing to bring up. I mean, because I do, I, I actually had those questions because it is that thing, what I love that you say in the big, I think it's in the beginning of the book where you're talking about your truth. You do say kind of the only way to find your truth is sometimes to live the lies and that no one ever tells you like the, you're not going to be told what is truthful or false. You have to discover it for yourself.
3: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
2: Right. I think that's in the top of your book sorry, yeah. and, I lo- and I love it and it's interesting, but I think it goes right into what you're talking about here.
3: Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's like when, when, when I, when I wrote that because I had to finish the final manuscript in like the last two weeks of April, 2020, because the manuscript was due May 1st. Thankfully I had written most of the book pre pandemic because mm-hmm. I don't, think this book would have could could have been written in the midst of the pandemic. Right. But so, so by the end, basically I, all I needed to write was the introduction. And so that introduction was written with, with very much the pandemic at, at the, you know, forefront of what was happening. And so, and then looking back on the introduction in the context of like what's happening with QAnon, it's like, you know, we don't operate in a vacuum. So yes, we need to go inside of ourselves and listen to our truth. But like, I can't go inside of myself and decide that the truth is, is that I'm like a, you know, Ford Explorer, and then (laughs) open my eyes and then start to like, interact with the world as if like, I'm a car that people should come and drive. You know what I mean? Like, like, or be like, I don't have to pay my bills. I'm a Ford Explorer. Like we we do, our our truths exist together in a wave of an ocean of experience. And so, and I think that's what's so triggering about the QAnon folks is that's like I have to deal with that. <laughs> I have to deal with that, you and do. I'm mad that I have to deal with that. Um, and and not to compare, like. QAnon with Black Lives Matter because because I don't even need to explain that, but like on a separate note, I had to go with, with white supremacy. I had to go into some gnarly sensations in my body to reckon with white supremacy in our culture and also the ways it was seeping into my own body and existence. Those were some of the most uncomfortable disorienting moments and triggering moments of my spiritual growth back in 2017. I spent months, I felt I felt like I was losing myself because white supremacy was so built into my framework that I didn't see it. So when I started to see it, it was so triggering to me to deal with it, but I had to deal with it because it's because it was something that needed to be dealt with a- as a white person. I can't just and I don't know what the solution is to this tall like but I can't just hide from the QAnon people Mm-mm. and pretend they're not there because somebody has to deal with this. and 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 I just wonder if we're going to if people in our community are going to or 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 how I and you like how do we deal with the fact that this is that this is real, that it's present, that it needs to be addressed. It's because sad it's,
2: because keep going. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Oh, up.
3: just the, you know, because it's like I, I, I don't want you know people of color to have to also deal with you know the the whiteness that is a part of QAnon. Oh my God. <laughs> Um, I think white folks need to to kind of address some of that.
2: For sure, and it's. um, I think what's also really hard, as far as Q infiltrating the spiritual and wellness community, is you realize that so many people love the idea, and I get it. Like, do we not love going to psychics or getting our tarot cards read or getting our chart read? I mean, of course, everyone loves it, and um, and I'm not saying you can't be psychic. Obviously, this is what I do for a living. I love all of that stuff, but. I think it's such an easy way to prey on society when it's this idea that I hear the voice. I know what's really going on because I am tapped into this idea and it's speaking to me. So I I can really see the clear picture because in some ways I'm elevated over all of you guys because I have this ability to hear these voices, to communicate and really be told what's truly happening that's above and beyond your plebeian brains. And I feel like that's hard to compete with. And I feel like people get so, as we're all trained to do, excited about this idea of who has the ability to plug in to the ethers, which as we teach all the time, you all have the ability to do that. And it's it's sure as hell probably not giving you this information, but um, I think it'd be slightly, I know it's not a logical source, but it wouldn't be this illogical, <laughs> I mean, but anyway, I, I, but it, I do feel like that's a huge thing of what, not the word competing is not right, but it's what we're up against because it's, that's why people then feel like, well, how, how would you know better than someone like that who's really hearing it from the God source for lack of a better
3: word. It, it I think this is so important. I, I feel like we're touching on something here because I, it's almost like celebrity culture mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's, it is the culture that created Donald Trump. We elected a famous reality TV star <laughs> whose names on all these buildings in New York and mar a and whatever to be president because he was famous. And in the same thing with the psychics, it's like who claim to have this connection to source, which we all have connection to source. But when there's someone special and that someone is not me, it's them. Then to go back to what we were talking about earlier, we're, we're tethered, to oh. that person for our power. And so, so you know, there, there's a, a psychic who I followed online or I kind of went and looked at his page and I was so disappointed with what I was seeing. And he, and I just saw it as so irresponsible because it, this was like well before the election, but it was in the months leading up. And he said, he said that Biden was going to win. And then a week later, he was like, my spirit guides have told me that, that Biden's not going to win. Trump is going to win. And I'm completely removed. I, I, I am completely objective. I don't care either way. In order for me to be tapped into my psychic self, I need to not care. And so I'm totally neutral. This has no impact on me. And I was thinking, and this is a, a white dude, and I was thinking, like, what privilege to be able to sit here.
2: So you don't care.
3: And, and be so removed because this doesn't have any impact on you. And, and to be using your big platform to be predicting the outcome of the election and then having lots of people who care a lot commenting and talking about it. And, and so ultimately, I don't know if this is what he was trying to do, but he was affirming a lot of the QAnon, like, look what's happening. And we, you know... Things are about to yeah. shift and the paradigm is about to change. And so I don't know. I, I think it's like, we have to ask ourselves, who are we respecting and why?
2: That's interesting.
3: What One of the people who I most respect is our friend, Sean Korn. And I have for a long time. That's why I did a yoga training with her. And then I did the off the mat training and and the reason I respect Sean is because she's grounded in what's real and true in this world. And, and she deflects, not deflects, but she manages this idea that she's some kind of, like, you know, god celebrity. Um, and she is. She's a fierce goddess. But she, but she does a really great job at grounding herself in her humanity.
2: Yeah, I agree.
3: And... And when I saw Sean doing that, I I really took note of like, I want to be a leader who is like grounded in reality and in the reality of my humanity. Of course, we all have such great high potential, but I'm not special. And I, I think, think you just there's...
2: touched on something huge, actually, because that is like mm. Q, Q does that is a little bit. I love that this has turned into this, but we're going to get back to your book, too. Um, <laughs> Q, that's what we always do. Q, um, again, it does feel like it's this elevated source of information. And I, look, I strongly believe we're in the period, as we all know, we talk about of like the guru going away. And I really hope it does because it's, it's sad. And I think this is what happens. Like, I think he, what happened, that failed to, a coup attempt, coup attempt, I think was a perfect example of this guru. like gurus come in all shapes and forms. It doesn't necessarily have to be a spiritual guru, but like they look at Trump as this guru mm-hmm. and it never goes well. <laughs> it just never goes well. It's like whoever, whenever you're elevating someone that high, it just doesn't go well. And it's like, and like you said, you're now courting to other people versus finding that power within yourself, no matter how great that person is. I mean, it could be even a Sean Korn who is amazing. It's like the fact that she takes herself off that pedestal to make sure you don't put her up as the guru is what makes her so badass and amazing because she's enforcing what everyone should be enforcing, which is no, 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 go to yourself. I'm here to assist you and help you and guide you if you want it. But like, ultimately, this is on you. And it is for all of us. And I think, and by the way, bring it full circle. That's what your book is about, which is finding your truth. You can't find it in anyone else. As you go through the body, we learn that, you know, I love that you go through the relationships, you go through your PowerPoint, even to your voice of like your throat chakra of, you know, speaking from your authenticity and your, I mean, I love, (laughs) you had a really funny line in there of like, everyone can sing. Like, Everyone can sing. Now, not everyone might like your singing, but everyone can sing. <laughs> and I thought that was so funny because it's true. I was like, I was like, can everyone? And I was like, I guess you're right. Everyone can sing. Like what it sounds like is a whole different thing. Um, my daughter's a little bit like that. We're always like, what age do you actually find the tone? We're not so sure. <laughs> but she loves it. And that's what makes me so happy. It's like sing. And I never want to take that voice away because it's so mm-hmm. important, like you were saying, to your your truth and knowing you and not giving your power away.
3: Yeah. And I, um, I, I love that you're bringing it back to this because I think that that's you, that that's the whole point. And, 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 that's why I share in each chapter, I share a story that is a piece of my humanness, but also a piece of my awakening. And, and the reason I do that is because I, it would make me want to vomit in my mouth if I wrote a book that, that came across like I in any way felt like I was like up here on this pedestal. Hmm. And so my hope is, is that like through those stories and the chapters about my own experiences, like that the the reader feels like seen and met by me in a way that like, this is actually doable. Like it's actually possible to go on this journey and discover your truth because While I'm using examples about me, those examples are just like meant to be mirrors because this is about you.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, I think what you did really well is reminding people that the lessons are there every single day. Like how you feel, the emotions you're getting are information for yourself, what you're going through, the relationships you choose, where you're working, how you feel about that work. All of that are lessons. And if you can start, you know, training yourself to sit in it, feel it, understand it, Um, that's where the growth comes from. And I thought you did that so well. I mean, it's funny when we were talking about Trump before I was going to bring up when your story about with the dog, which we've talked about another episode too, but of the rage of how you would find yourself getting rageful with these cute puppy dog eyes staring at you and ultimately, and I was like, this is such a good lesson for people because what you ultimately got to was when you were feeling that trigger, you were feeling that rage like you are disconnected. So instead of just being like, trying to correct the rage or fix that problem, which yes, I mean, if you're majorly rageful, please fix the problem. (laughs) But like, go also see what is, what's really the trigger at it? What's the disconnect? Where are you not honoring yourself? And that so much is what, and I thought that was a perfect example, like you're saying, is here are basic examples that we all feel rage at sometimes. So I mean, look, it's what spurred this conversation. When I started feeling the rage in me these last couple of days, I really did stop. I'm like, what is triggering me about this? Obviously, there's black and white things that feel so obvious, but I'm like, what is it really? Because when your body starts reacting and you can feel it, like you said, you can feel that heat, it's telling you something.
3: hmm And I, I learned so much like, like like rage for me has been such a teacher because what I, what I learned was, is that shaming my rage wasn't making me less rageful. It was actually burying the rage deeper in me, which then guaranteed its future explosion. (laughs) So I was like, I need to deal with this consciously instead of looking away from my rage. And yeah. And that, and that's, I, I think I write in the book that there's like, like rage can be, can communicate, can communicate two things. They probably can communicate more, but these are the two things that I notice that either A, I'm not honoring something about my truth or my experience. And, and the result is rage because I'm out of alignment. I'm so out of alignment that the rage is like a wake up call. Or, Um, rage can be it's unprocessed trauma that's living in the body that and so you know one of the things that I do is when I'm when I have a bout of rage when I feel that like not just anger that's like hot but like rage that like wants to like punch a glass window Mm -hmm. or like kick something I take a pillow and I beat the F out of my couch (laughs) And Poor I go, ah! and I, and I hit the, the, um, couch as hard as I can. And like, I'm clear that that is an effective and healthy way to release the energy, to rinse the energy from my body. Um, so if you think of it like fire, yeah, if there's a fire, it would be irresponsible to like, let it turn into a wildfire. But it would be responsible to, like, learn to contain it. Maybe, like, have a fire pit in your backyard or something like that. Like, (laughs) so for me, like, the pillow on the couch allows me to, like, reduce harm. And, like, it's not hurting anyone. I'm not, like, lodging it deep in myself. But I'm not – I'm also not taking it out on someone else. And, yeah – Um, And and that's what Ginger taught me. Ginger was like this like pure, beautiful, innocent mirror. I I, I talk about in the book, like puppy medicine. Puppy medicine was like, yeah, it's easy to be rageful at your ex who cheated on you. It's easy to be rageful at your parents who, like... But
2: this puppy did nothing. With a puppy. I know.
3: <laughs> I'm also realizing, Tal, that I feel like my book is just a collection of stories that I've talked about on the Den Talks podcast. I,
2: I know. By the way, you guys go to our first episode. We got into a lot of these stories. But you said it inspired you to write the book, so it makes sense. It makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I think you actually maybe had just recently found a new home for the puppy when we did our first episode. I feel like I feel like it was soon because it came up and I was like, what? And then you explained the whole thing. And we had like a whole long conversation about it. <laughs>
3: yep. yep. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. It was about, it must've been about like two years ago. Yeah. 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 Whoa. Cause I think, I feel like you'd come in and you told me about it. I was like, what?
2: And then we, I think it's, we started around that story maybe. Cause I remember being like, I mean, cause I rescue so many dogs. So my initial reaction was like, what? Mm. And then you said, I'm like, no, good. You did the right thing for the dog and for you. And, and, and it's also a lesson everyone. Like, don't get dogs when you're not ready. Cause it's hard. They're like little, it's hard. Um, but I think the lesson is so important of like, you know, you say it, I want to read it because I love the quote and I think it's in a different chapter, but you say learning to paint with your emotional color palette in a way that heals instead of harms. And I know it's, you're talking about different things than this exactly, but I do think it works, which it's like, you felt this rage and you started to realize, I mean, right. You understood that this wasn't working for you and you were getting angry at things. And you realize though, I mean, you had the self-awareness and the ability to sit there and say, this isn't working. This puppy has done absolutely nothing wrong. I am not upset at this puppy. I'm upset at myself. I'm upset. This is, it's my body telling me this is not the right situation, which you say you'd heard in your your intuition had already pinged you that and you just chose to ignore it.
3: Mm -hmm. And
2: so it's, I felt like I love that. I think that's such a beautiful way to say it. To paint with your emotional color palette in a way that heals versus harm is so brilliant. I know you were in that, I think in that regard, you were talking more about how you talk to people, how you respond, how you express yourself. And I think it's, but they go hand in hand. It's like you're learning from moments um, and you realize that ultimately everything that's presented to you really is, I go back to the ego part of it, really is for you. It's not about the other person. So like, how can you take it for your healing versus taking it out on the dog or on the partner or whatever it is.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, that, um, that quote about the painting with your emotional color palette is, is that same chapter okay. as <laughs> yeah. And it's um, it's the fourth chapter about the heart and it's, it's, you know, cause emotions are these like intangible feelings of the heart that we can't, they're, you know, they're storms. They're storms. Yeah. We can't control them. We can't touch them. We can't, but, but we can paint with them. We can move with them. We can flow with them. We can dance with them. And so mm-hmm. I used rage as an example of, because I feel like rage is one of those emotions that is like just one that we, we are not so great at learning how to deal with in our society. And so I kind of I see it as like living in New York. If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. It's like rage is like if you can, if you can learn to wield and paint with rage, then I think we can do it with so many of the other emotions. Grief is another one that I talk yeah. about um, in the book. But yeah, it's that, it's that ability to to paint with the emotional color palette which means like I can actually be in relationship with my emotions and that my emotions, especially the recurring ones that come up, that I'm like, what the fuck, like this again? Like that?" that's a teacher. And so if we interact with our life experiences and I'm not, you know, like for the pandemic, for example, like it's not that we're supposed to like spiritualize the pandemic or spiritually bypass the pandemic or even make the best of the pandemic nobody has to do that. It's a global pandemic. And at the same time, I guarantee there's going to be lessons in this experience for everyone. There already um, are, I
2: feel like, so many.
3: Yeah, and, and that that's that's like life. Like the pandemic is like life. It's not going to go the way that we thought it was going to go. But it is going to bring up stuff that might, like Trump, need to bring things to the surface because we have to deal with them because they're there, whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's an interesting thing about the unconscious mind is like, yeah, there's what we're conscious of, but most of what is happening in our bodies and our psyches and our souls, and even in our brains is like out of view. And so we have these opportunities where we get to become conscious of what was previously out of view and relationships emotions um life experiences pandemics coups at the capitol like <laughs> you know like they they bring things up that can allow us to get to know ourselves a little bit better not so that we can just know ourselves a little bit better and be this egotistical version of ourselves but so that then we can like actually get connected to like, well, how can I knowing myself this well, trusting my truth this much, how can I show up and be of service to this world and participate in actions and, and behaviors and communities that can contribute to the healing that we so need right now? Um, Instead of, you know, getting just completely overwhelmed by how crazy things can get, which is also a fair response. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's so true, though. It's like there's so much more going on in like our subconscious than is actually present every day, which is why. And you you go through it in your book, why like a spiritual practice of some sort. And that can be walking. It can be movement. It doesn't always have to be sitting down and meditating, um, but doing something is so important because that is how you can start to work with your subconscious, also start to get, I mean, if you want to get woo woo, but like get those frequencies a little bit stronger of what we're attracting into our subconscious because it controls, it's like literally the puppeteer with the marionette. It controls so much more of our everyday motions and happenings than you realize, and you don't even know what's controlling it. And so, yeah, it's like the more you can do these things, the more you know your truth, then that puppeteer is out in the open. And then you can work with that puppeteer, which is so much better than if you don't know your truth, you know, and trust your truth. Well, then again, it's that weird dichotomy. It's almost like you have a stranger controlling you sometimes.
3: Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah. We, we don't know ourselves. I just had this like visual of like in meditation, we come back to the breath, we come back to the breath or we come back to the mantra or we come back to the ground or we come back to, to something that we, that grounds us. Um, that's what, that's what the truth is. We can't like touch the truth. It's like, And nobody owns the truth and the truth changes like the tides, but we can come back to it just like the breath. We can come back to it and, and knowing we're always going to, and sometimes need, we're going to need to stray from our truth because that's what grounds us in our center.
2: It's so true. I have one more question before we do your four U's Like, hopefully wraps it up. You know, you, we've talked about it. You go through the chakras, you walk people through the body. You start obviously with the the root chakra, the lower chakra, you talk about the lower half of the body. Um, Talk about why it is important to do all of it. And I say that kind of like piggybacking on what we were talking about a little bit with Q and a little bit what was going on. There is kind of a whole part of this wellness spiritual community that prays a little bit on just the high vibe, you know, talk to your angels. And by the way, I love all that stuff. And again, anyone who takes my classes knows we talk to the angels. It's what I like to do. But I'm also very big on like, we do it all different times and depending what comes up. But I feel like there is a whole part of the community that's kind of like, no, 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 you just go and do this kind of, you know, it's almost like, you know, peace and love, forget about it, love and light, and that'll solve all your problems. So talk about the idea of working through the body all the way through all the energetic system.
3: Yeah, that's such a great question. And I love, I love, yeah, I love talking to the angels too. Like, please <laughs> talk to the angels. I, you know, I, I think being human is such a, is such a traumatic experience. And I, and I say that with a smile on my face and like, and like, love in my heart, but it, but it's true. It's like, it's um, I understand why people spiritual, spiritually bypass, because th- this can be hard to be human. Um, but the spiritual path is the bravery of being human. It's, it's the courage to be both human and spiritual that we are, we are both. And we have interwoven in our bodies and beings the capacity to be both um humans and gods and goddesses light and shadow the the void of the ocean and the abyss and and the sparkly you know glitter of the unicorn all at the same time and so i i love the chakra system because the, just the system itself is rooted in the earth and of the celestial ethers of, of the divine. Um, and I grew up, like we talked about in some of our previous interviews, I grew up in Catholic school. So I grew up praying. I grew up as the foundation of connecting to God, speaking to God. That was like part of my education growing up. So, so, um, you know, the, the the red roots of the legs and, and the tailbone and the the orange energy of creativity and the flowing of, of the waters of the pelvis and the fire and the belly, like the, these are all what ground us and what connect us to this earth and this sense of like me, Shannon, here on the ground, on the earth, here. And I think that that's so important. I'm proud of that. I'm proud to be Shannon because... Here I am with this this one life as this human, and I'm gonna walk this earth and interact with people and dance and flow and hopefully do something that's going to contribute. I, I relish in that opportunity. I recognize that it that that this is a short time that I get to be in this body. So like, I'm gonna choose to embrace it, not deny it, even though it's gonna be hard and it's probably going to get harder <laughs> like and um and the the heart and the voice and the the mind and the crown chakra these are like the spiritual chakras that connect us to a higher purpose that connect us to each other that connect us to a spiritual purpose that connect us to god or goddess or the universe Um, to, to light and space and something mysterious that we can't, none of us can name. It's unnameable. And I think that that is, that's wonder, that's curiosity, that's awe, that's, that is our ability to imagine something new. And so we need, we need people who are talking to angels and who have visions and who are tapped in. But I think we, we need all of us. We we need the people who are like stuck in the mud to come up and out and and find the the light of that connection to something higher. And we also need the people who might be just kind of like only up in the higher to like come down and like root in this earth. I think to to do neither is to just des- deny ourselves this full whole capacity to be to be human um, and to experience all of it. So I mean, that would be my selling point. Is like, don't sell yourself short of having like the full rainbow of experience that that I think is possible when we tap into all of these these energy centers.
2: I love that, and honestly, it's a perfect closure to talking about your book because that's what it does. It brings you through the whole rainbow of who you are and who you can be, and it's it's really great. I'm so proud of you.
3: Oh, thank you, Tall. Thank am. you for being. Thank you for like ushering me forward on this journey. Oh, from, please. Like,
2: that was all you. I just got to have some good conversations with you. That's, <laughs> that sparked a more specific idea for you.
3: Well, um, I feel very much that you've been with me um, at the beginning of the process and now here at the beginning of the launching of the actual the actual book. So that that's not lost on me. And I, I'm grateful for your, for. I mean, I feel like what I just described is very much you in a lot of ways that, you know, like you come from this very, like of the earth world, this like job, this culture of like television and, and accomplishment and productivity and understanding how the world works. And like, and now here you are on this like seven plus year long journey. I'm sure it's even longer than that of like connecting to these higher aspects of, of yourself. So I don't know. I was just, as I was saying, it's, it's easy to talk about this with you because I feel like you embody these capacities. I, and I
2: will say, um, you are right. When you can take advantage of all of it, it's, it feels great. It is amazing. Cause it's true. And it's true. It doesn't mean that I always tell this to people in class. It doesn't mean you don't have problems. Bad things don't happen. You don't have emotions, but there is a shift that happens when you feel like I think you're blending, you know, all of it and it's a big shift and it's a total change because of how you look at the world what you deem as success or not success it all just changes but in a good way it's changing to support you so it's,
3: it's like good. being able to play the whole piano yeah the low keys and the high keys why would you just play half the piano when you have all of the keys at your disposal
2: that's so true let's do your four use four quick questions with four quick answers What's, what do you miss the most in this pandemic?
3: I wanna like sweat in like a massive group of people like at a gay (laughs) bar or at a wanderlust festival. I don't really care where it is. I just wanna be like sweating and having people like jumping around me. And I probably don't even want that that long but I just want like a dash of it and then I'll go home and sleep.
2: That's (laughs) so funny. Like I just need a moment. Um, What have you been obsessed with?
3: Lately, I've been obsessed with. I mean, very recently, I've been obsessed with the news. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, not to be. but before that, I, I was actually off my phone for most of December, and I was just obsessed with being present with my family and like and being off social media. I, I didn't post very much in December, and I was like, I'm finally with so my nice. family after spending so much time alone this year. I just want to like sit here and like be with these perfectly imperfect humans who I love, who drive me crazy at the same time, like here.
2: (laughs) Also it's just, God, we waste so much time on there. It's ridiculous. It's like, I don't even do, I don't even post that much. I'm not like a big poster who creates stuff. And even I am like, like before it was like a meeting, I had 15 minutes before someone like, oh great, 15 minutes. I'm going to get this done and this done. And then I realized, oh wait, I have one minute left because I was like catching up on looking at people's Instagram. I'm like, what a waste of time. It's insane. Not that some people don't post great things, but still a waste of time. Totally. And, okay. Um, what did you find surprised you the most in writing your book? Was there something about yourself that you discovered?
3: Well, it actually goes hand in hand with the with the conversation about social media. Is I had become so attuned to writing something from my heart and soul, and then clicking post. And then all of a sudden what I wrote from my heart and soul turned into this like obsession with, well, how many likes is it getting? Who's commenting? How many people are commenting? Is it going to get this many? Is it going to get this many? And what was brilliant about writing this book is I would write a chapter and nobody would read it for weeks. (laughs) And then I wrote a whole book and still nobody's read it. So it's like I had to get really connected to what I wanted to say independent from any reaction, um, and that was like such a healing process for me as a writer because I came out of it not really caring so much um, about that kind of ego response.
2: That's huge. That's amazing. Actually, it's really funny. It's like the book actually trained you. Like, doesn't matter because you're not getting it.
3: Totally, um, that's
2: really funny. What like what food are you obsessed with right now, or anything that we need to know?
3: Oh my god. Well, okay. So I just came from Ocean View, Delaware, where there's this like. M- like grocery store, organic market. That's also a restaurant. That's also a farm. That's also like an Airbnb and it's called good earth. And it's, it's just totally charming. And it's like in rural kind of beach town, Delaware. And they have taco Tuesday and they have like these veg, veggie tacos. And I know it's so specific, but they're like so incredibly good. And there's like such a variety of like vegetables and like pickled things and jalapenos and avocado, so if you happen to be in ocean view, Delaware, <laughs> go, go to good earth.
2: Hard tacos or soft tacos.
3: They're soft, but I'll always love hard tacos because I grew up with my mom making those She like too. toast them in the oven.
2: Me too. I feel like everyone looks at me like I'm gross. I'm like, I don't know. Same thing. It was like, it was that easy thing your parents made on that night. And it's just, I have such good memories of the crunch when you bite into it. Oh, <laughs> and then it's you're so making me soft, want some whatever. hard tacos I know, right there now. There you go. Um, <laughs> What you call it in LA. Is it Don Antonio's there? What's that? There's one place in Burbank that has like good hot tacos, hard tacos, Ooh. super greasy, but like good in Burbank.
3: Don Antonio's in Burbank. Don Antonio's.
2: I don't remember. I mean, you'll, you'll find it. I
3: mean, <laughs> I, I'm like, I need to write that down,
2: but it is in Burbank old, dark divey Mexican joint. Mm. I love you. I adore you. Stay tuned. He will do his personal practice. Um, Thank you. And I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited. This more of your voice, you've already shared your voice in such an incredible way, but of who you are is out there and is going to really help and shift people. And especially in a time like this, this is what all you can do to help really change things.
3: Thank you so much, Tal. It's such an honor to let be on this show with you for like a third time. And I, I just woke up this morning, like feeling gratitude t- uh, to be able to talk to you again. Like I always love our conversations. I love and-
2: talking to you. It's always so easy and fun.
3: I know. You're like one of those people I could like spend like a long weekend with. And like, we would just like never stop talking. Well, we'll have to do it.
2: <laughs> when the <laughs> pandemic's over, I feel like I haven't <laughs> seen anyone in so long.
3: I know, right? Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.
2: You're the best. And now Shannon is going to do his personal practice. And we are so very lucky because he's doing a meditation straight out of his book.
3: Welcome, welcome, welcome to our first meditation in the Trust Your Truth guided meditation album. This is the meditation that goes with chapter one and is called You Belong Here. In this body. So this meditation is all about grounding and relating to your body as your home, as the vessel where you belong with yourself. We can't always control the environments outside of us and we can't always necessarily feel like we belong wherever we go but we can cultivate an inner environment of belonging to and with ourselves. So this is a practice of grounding, of connecting to the earth, of connecting to the earth beneath you that holds you, but also connecting to the earth of your own body as the home that you live in, that your soul lives in in this life. So let's jump right in to our practice today. Uh, We're going to close the eyes if that's comfortable for you. And we're going to just take a moment if you need any adjusting. Notice where you're sitting. Do you want to be in a chair? Are you on your couch or your bed? Do you want to sit on the floor? Just notice where you're going to be most comfortable for this practice and make any little adjustments that feel desired. Or required and we will repeat the mantra known as the bija mantra LAM and we're gonna repeat it eight times so you're welcome to simply listen and take in the vibration as I speak it or you can speak the mantra with me so it's Lam LAM and we're just gonna say this vibration Eight times as we connect to the roots and the ground beneath us. So, taking a deep inhale. Lam, 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 and beginning to tune the awareness inward, whatever that means for you. And if it's comfortable for your body, you can bring the palms to face down on the thighs or the knees in a gesture of grounding, of connecting to what is beneath you. And perhaps the ground is beneath you, a cushion or a chair or the bed. And just begin to notice the support. What is underneath the body? What is holding you in this space? And perhaps as the body exhales, you might be able to release and soften just a little bit, maybe just a little bit more softening and releasing and letting the ground hold your body, hold your energy and hold you. Noticing the body inhaling and receiving the in-breath. And notice the body exhaling, releasing the out-breath. And as the body inhales, sensing the breath moving in through the nostrils. And as the body exhales, sensing the breath and your energy moving down into the legs, into the pelvis, and then into the earth. Inhaling, feeling the breath coming into the body, and exhaling, feeling the energy moving down into the earth. And if the mind wanders or you feel at all unanchored. Notice what it feels like to bring back the silent vibration of the mantra. Lum, 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 lum. lum. to the bottoms of the soles of the feet the legs the base of the tailbone feeling the skeleton the bones of the body and also the soft skin that holds the body like a warm blanket, like a gentle covering. And as the body inhales, just feeling the vibration of, I belong here. And as the body exhales, feeling the vibration of, in this body. Inhaling, I belong here. Exhaling, in this body. Inhaling, I belong here. Exhaling, in this body. Gently begin to wiggle the toes, wiggle the fingers, maybe take any movement in the body that feels good or appropriate for you. And we'll close by inhaling and reaching the arms up overhead, taking a big stretch through the body. and exhaling to bring the hands to the center of the chest palms press resting the thumbs on the sternum lifting the sternum up into the thumbs taking a deep inhale into this whole physical body this vessel and exhaling bowing the chin to the chest honoring the wisdom and intelligence that lives within this body. May we remember to listen to the energy, the aliveness, the communications of this body. May we respect this body as our home, our vessel, our home base. And may we remember that no matter what, we belong. We belong to ourselves and we belong right here, right now, in this moment, with this breath. Deep full inhale. And deep complete exhale, letting it all go. And as you're ready, let your eyes flutter open. Take in the light. Notice what you see. And welcome back. Thank you so much.
2: Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people. Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielek, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Dentalks Podcast, and join us there.